Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bring, bring it back. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jake, uh, Newcastle fan. You get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two ends. Hi, I'm Russ Goldman, host of Cottage Talk. You can follow me on Twitter at Russ underscore Goldman or at the account for the podcast Cottage Talk. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. If anybody's tuning in to get my take on Tottenham today, uh, they were terrible. And I did not get too surprised by that fact. Um, We'll move from there. There's not really much to discuss. It was one of the worst matches uh, that I've ever seen Tottenham play. Um, So let's talk about a rival that hit a bit of a rough patch in Chelsea. They end up sacking Frank Lampard and hiring Thomas Tuchel earlier this week. What did you guys make of that switch, especially uh, at, at this point of the season? Yeah, um, I thought it was a little bit harsh. I, I'm i probably one of the people that think that Frank Lampard was actually doing quite well at Chelsea and was slight, um, a lot of the underlying numbers, especially from last season, were actually quite promising. Um, looking at the, the understat table for expected goals, they had Chelsea at, um, at third um, when you looked at expected points, only, only just short of Liverpool, so... Um, what that probably told us was that Chelsea were, were a little bit inexperienced, it, but both it, Lampard and the players themselves and, and Liverpool probably had a bit more quality. But the, the actual way they were they were dominating games and creating good chances and the defence wasn't too bad. It was just that they had an awful goalkeeper that threw one in every couple of games. So it didn't didn't help them at all. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought he was quite unlucky last season and, and perhaps deserved a few more points than they actually got. Um, I thought they were worthy of finishing in the top four and then the FA Cup final probably. Um, soured the end of the season for them if they had won that, you know, to, it's a completely different uh, shine to the season. So I think he was a little bit unfortunate last year, and I thought there were some promising signs this year, um, especially sort of um, October, November time. They played some really good football. Um, thought with Chilwell and Reese James down, down at fullback, they were they were um, sort of developing their style. They were keeping a lot more clean sheets, um, and yeah, they, they were they were doing well in, in sort of in the title picture for a little bit, um, but then did sort of go off the rails a bit, um, quite a poor run of form. I, I think the Lampard maybe in that run showed his inexperience and he couldn't quite manage manage upwards with the board and struggled to get the best out of a few of, uh, few of the players in the squad and his comments in the media were quite questionable. I think he did show a lot of inexperience, which maybe forced the issue a little bit, but it was his first proper bad run as Chelsea manager. I thought it was harsh that they did get rid of him, but that is what Chelsea do. Um, but yeah, it's... It, it, I do think that he did well, probably up until sort of November this year, the end of November this year, December. Um, it did did sort of go bad quite quickly, but we've seen what happened with Arteta and he's managed to bring it back around. Solskjaer's had a few of these runs as well. I think that maybe they would have 
um, been better trying to stick with him, but I can see why they made the change. Um, he was perfect for their season when they couldn't bring in players, but when they started to spend big money and the expectation went up, I think that maybe it was a difficult one for him to match those expectations. And he did struggle to, to get the best out of, you know, the likes of Werner and Havertz. It, it was difficult for him. Um, but he, he, I think on the whole, he did a good job. He brought a lot of the young players through. I think that, you know, if they'd have appointed an Allegri or a, a Tuchel two, two last year, would they have brought through the number of young players that, that Lampard did? I'm not so sure. I think we would have seen a lot more Pedro playing, who, who was there last year, uh, Alonso as well. And um, I'm not sure we would have seen Reese James get a, get a fair crack as well. So I think he did a really good job for Chelsea in terms of bringing their squad forward to the point that it is now. But yeah, maybe he's lacking that experience to go on and, and challenge for major trophies. So in that sense, I can sort of understand it. It's a difficult one. I think that he did... Even now, I still think he did quite a good job, but I can see why they've made the change because they maybe thought that that was his limit and he couldn't push it on to, to challenge. But no, I think that the, the replacement is makes sense. I think Tuchel's done well at Dortmund for a period. He did well at PSG. Um, you know, it's difficult to judge what is good at PSG, but he, you know, he, he won the league. He won pretty much everything there was to win and got to the Champions League final um, and seemed to, to develop a, a style in the Champions League that suited them, which is... It's no easy task at PSG. We've seen so many managers fail to do that. So I think it's a good appointment. He'll, he's a little bit more tactically aware than Lampard. I think we've seen that already with the way they've been controlling possession and um, keeping um, two clean sheets is, is always good, a good way to start, regardless of who the opposition is. So, yeah, I think that I think that it's a positive move and it probably makes Chelsea more of a threat to the likes of Tottenham and Leicester for the rest of the season. But I think it's a little bit harsh. I, I still think that Lampard did quite a good job and I, I do hope that this is the end of him in management now that he's had the Chelsea job. I hope he does go and uh, and continue working, um, building his experience. And I think that if he does that, maybe in five, ten years, we'll see him back at Chelsea more prepared and more able to do the job. Okay, very good stuff there, Jake. And uh, this is extremely... I, I won't even say harsh. I think it's extremely harsh to sack Lampard because I think that he was brought in again this is just my thinking I'm I'm not Roman Abramovich but I thought they looked at it as a project and if you're going to look at it as a project this is unfair to let someone go who has changed how Chelsea were building their side bringing on the young players I I know it's Chelsea and, and they're going to bring in these experienced players and he has to utilize them along with the young players but he changed Chelsea, for the better, I think. Just look at all those young players that were brought in. And I think that he deserves a lot of credit for doing that. On the other side, I understand why they did it, because it's Chelsea. But that doesn't make it right. It does not make it right to not give someone a chance to fix a problem. As Jake said, you have these other managers that were given that opportunity at Manchester United, at Arsenal. Well, why can't that same philosophy be at Chelsea? But it's not because it's Chelsea. And that, to me, is the rub here. It, I just think this is extremely unfair. And um, I actually been messaging back and forth with a Chelsea supporter who's a, a journalist, and she thinks it's unfair as well because uh, she thought of it like me, that it was like a project. You know, it was a project. Why are you doing this now? In regards to the manager that you're bringing in, I see why they're doing it, and it does make sense. But I just think that this is just not fair for someone just starting out in his career, started at Derby County, was 
was given probably the dream job of coming to Chelsea in a very difficult period when, again, it, they weren't able to make signings. And he was able to basically change how Chelsea were doing their business and really just revigorating that side. That's the way I looked at it. And I thought they were going to build upon that. Now, if you're telling me he could not get the best out of Werner and, and Havertz and, and the players coming in, that's fine. Give him a chance to figure it out. He did not have enough time to do that. I, I cannot get past this. And I'm not a, a Chelsea supporter. I don't like Chelsea at all. And I'm not the biggest Frank Lampard fan. This is unfair, guys. And I, I can't get past that. Sorry. Yeah, it seemed a little early. But as you say, it's unsurprising that, that Chelsea do this. Uh, for the stats fans out there, um, they're third in expected points this season. Obviously, a far cry for the current seventh place uh, spot in the table at the moment. Um, I really think that it came down to to the business. You were right, Russ. They they did have a different transfer policy under him uh, for that first year. Obviously, with the transfer ban, um, then they weren't banned anymore and then made a load of signings. And I don't know if they felt that, that Lampard did enough to get the most out of them. Obviously, Timo Werner has really struggled. Kai Havertz hasn't looked the you know, destined to be one of the world's best players that he was uh, when he was at Leverkusen. Um, obviously, have brought in a couple of the players. Chilwa had a pretty good start to the season. I think that the Thiago Silva signing was a little weird uh, to begin with. Obviously, Ziyech as well, who I think just missed out on the last squad entirely. But do you guys think that a certain element of this was that Frank wasn't able to get the best out of a lot of those players and, and that maybe the point of Tuchel is to get out the best of the Germans in particular? I think so. You know, again, it's funny, guys, if you really think about it, was the writing on the wall before the season began? Because, uh, again, Tuchel knows these players. Was it, you know, was this in the works for a long time? I, I don't know. You know, and, and again, things have have its way of working out. But was that maybe the plan, you know, and it just got, you know, got to the point where they decided to make a move now. But uh I think it comes down to exactly what you just said, Kevin. I, I, I think that Chelsea just felt that he wasn't getting the most out of these signings and uh, they spent a lot of money for him. So they're like, okay, fine. We're going to bring in Tuchel because we believe he's going to get the most out of him. But what I think is going to happen now, I think they're going to revert back to the old Chelsea. And that's too bad because I think that there was a chance to really change how this side was going to be – you know, doing their business. Like I said, you know, they have all this, all this young talent. And finally they were given this chance. I, I, I also have another good friend that, that does a, a well done Chelsea podcast. And, you know, I'm just thinking about why are they not bringing in these young players? And then, then they did under Lampard and he was very happy about that. My question now is, does it revert to the old Chelsea? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, I think I think last season that, that Chelsea became quite likable, um, which is something they haven't yeah. really been to neutral fans for a long time. And um, <laughs> now, if the, you know the way they spent money in the summer, sort of sort of soured that a little bit. And now the, the way that Lampard sort of been kicked out quite uh, unceremoniously, um, sort of yeah, it, it does feel like they're returning to type. Um, yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I think that. From what I've read about it, it does seem that Lampard's fallen out with a lot of the the, the big decision makers at Chelsea, and there was even rumours that 
that he would walk over the summer if it was any other club um, because of the way they were disagreeing over transfers and things like that. So it did seem like it was brewing behind the scenes for a long time. And it, it, they, they were probably awaiting for, for the, the right replacement to come up when, when Tuchel uh, got sacked by PSG last month. It probably just sort of um, accelerated it to now instead of instead of being an issue for the summer and, and the bad form just sort of really accelerated that as well. So, yeah, I, I do agree with Russ. I think that they, they, they've become the old Chelsea and, and maybe they're not going to be ones that, that I'll be rooting for as a neutral over the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I will not be rooting for Chelsea either, and I hope that's <laughs> fine with everyone out there. Um, any early guesses as to where Lampard ends up next? I saw somebody tout him as potentially joining the England setup, which I think would be a decent oh. shot. Yeah, that's actually... That makes sense, Kevin. You know, it's funny because I really do hope that he gets uh, an opportunity real soon. You know, promising young manager. Listen, we have these former players that have promising careers. I have it at Fulham with Scott Parker. You have Steven Gerrard at Rangers. And I think this is great. And you, you can even say at Derby County, you have it with Rooney. And I think it's important to have these young English managers come through. And uh, I am... I'm, I'm, believe it or not, even though I'm not a fan of his, I'm rooting for him to succeed and get another job. Yeah, me too. I think that it, I think a, a Premier League job, if it did come up, I think he'd be linked. I'm not sure. If, I think it would, there's still an element of risk there. Um, I think he did well at Derby for the year he was there. I think, he, again, I said I thought he did well at Chelsea, but it's going to be a different type of skill to go in at a club lower down the Premier League because he's not going to get another one near the top for. A while, yeah, and I think that's quite right as well. I mean, he'll probably want to go away and build his experience, probably under the radar a little bit. Um, I could see him maybe at West Ham. Obviously, he, he's got a history with yeah. them. Um, I think Moyes is doing well at the moment, but I could definitely see that as something in the future. I could Celtic uh, are going to need a new manager soon. I could see him being linked with that, and then you've got the, especially the way Gerrard's done well in Scotland. They might look at look at his long term on pitch rival becoming available, and, <laughs> and maybe see something similar with Lampard. So I, wouldn't rule that out, and I think the England setup as well is, is is an obvious one. Maybe coaching one of the the under um twenty one teams or, or or lower down. I think I could definitely see that. Um, so yeah, I hope he does come back into management, and I'm I'm sure he will. I'm sure this has only whetted his appetite. But yeah, I could, I don't I don't know if he'd go down to the championship again. Maybe he would. It would probably need to be a club that was ambitious, looking to challenge for promotion. So that's maybe something. Um, but yeah, I could maybe see him at a West Ham or or a Celtic, or, or again, as, as a part of the England setup in, in, for his next job anyway. Um, but I'm sure there, there won't be a, sh- a shortage of interest in him, because I do think he's done quite well. And the way he does carry himself in the media, or, or at least the way he did until maybe the, the last month or two, um, he does sort of represent a club well, so I can see that um, really appealing to some, some boards out there. Mm. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how highly he thinks of himself as a manager. Like, is he going to be one of those guys that might damage his career by just waiting too long for another Premier League job when that's maybe not the first place that'll come calling? Or will, like you say, will he be willing to go to the championship or or try to develop some of his ideas? I do know that there had been some uh, reporting earlier this week that especially in attack that a lot of the Chelsea players didn't feel they were getting enough um, guidance on how they should be operating as an attacking unit, which led to you know, disjointed attacks and counterattacks. Um, so maybe that's something that he could he could work on in the championship. But yeah, it, it'll be fascinating to see where he goes next and how long it takes. I, I think both will show a pretty good indication of his 
uh, intent and trajectory as a, as a manager in the game. And I do think the, in England, uh, place might be best for him because it would give him more time to, to work on some of the tactics and stuff rather than having a match every week or if he was in the championship sometimes twice a week, but or even in the Premier League, I suppose, right now. But yeah, it, it'll definitely be one to keep an eye on moving forward. Um, the other big thing that I wanted to talk about this week is that we've passed the halfway point of the season. Happened midweek, of course, and then we've had a whole other match week since. But we always do this when we hit the halfway point. We go through and we review the season to date. Uh, so I'll start off with our predictions for the title, top four, and relegation candidates. I'm sorry that I might have accidentally pitted you two against each other in this regard, but <laughs> who do you think is the most likely to win the title, finish in those Champions League spots, and be relegated this year based on the first 19 match weeks of the season? Yeah, I think for me, um, if we start with the top of the league, I think that Manchester City, I've said Manchester City since the start, and I'm not really changed from that. I think they're winning matches at the moment. Um, they scored 37 goals, um, only Liverpool scored more. Uh, they've conceded 13 in 20 matches, which is just ridiculous, really. Um, they've got the best goal difference in the league, and they, they just seem to be finding their form now. Um, and the defence, which was a big issue last year, doesn't seem to be one, uh, as their impressive record shows. So I think for me, they're going to win the league, and I don't, I don't think it's going to be very close. I think we, the Premier League was threatening to have a title race for a little bit, but I, I can't see it now. I think Liverpool have got too many issues at the moment at the back. Uh, they might try and fix that. Um, before the window closes, but even if they do, I don't think you're going to be able to match the quality they had. Um, I think that the this, the front line um, isn't as good as it was. I think there's some tiredness there, and I think maybe um, winning a Premier League title and and being in the title race the year before and winning you know Champions League finals has taken a lot out of these players. And I, I just don't see them being able to go the distance again this year. Um, I think Manchester United as well. We've seen their inconsistency over the last week. They really showed next to nothing in the game yesterday and I tweeted out about it. It was they've played um Liverpool, Manchester City, Chelsea and Arsenal now and drawn nil nil against all of them and they've all been terrible games. They just don't seem to have um I guess the the, the setup to really work in those type of games and, and it, it, it hasn't really been good enough and, and they do drop silly points as we saw against Sheffield United. I don't I don't see them as genuine title contenders, but I think all three of the teams I mentioned will get into the top four. Um it's just that last place, which is a little bit debatable. I still think Tottenham are going to do it. I think it's difficult to say after today, but if Kane's not out for too long, I think that I think Mourinho does get things done. I could see Tottenham winning a, a, another. No, I could see Tottenham beating Chelsea in the week, for example. I could see that happening. Um, I don't think Leicester are going to do it. They seem to they fell off this time last year, and it seems to be a, a common theme in, with Brendan Rodgers. Um, that they do fall away in the second half of the season. I just don't think they will do it, especially with the Europa League. That will take a lot out of them. So I still think Tottenham, I slightly favour. Um, although I think Chelsea um, could be a, a dark horse for it. I think that it depends how quickly things click. And I think this game on Thursday is so big for, for, for the top four. I think if either team win it, I think that would really put them as, as favourites to finish in that fourth position. I still slightly favour Tottenham. I just think that Mourinho will get it done. Um, but as a Spurs fan, I can see why you wouldn't share that optimism, especially after today. I just, I just think I've seen this performance from Tottenham so many times under Mourinho, and then they mm. go and win a couple. I just, I just think he'll get it done. I just, I, I think my my optimism is fading somewhat, but I still think they'll get it done. And if we go to the bottom of the table, I think this has been a horrible weekend for the three teams in the bottom three. Um, because if you'd, have, if I'd have been on last week, I'd have said Newcastle certainly to go down. Nothing was working. We were losing games we were not showing anything there seemed to be no fight Steve Bruce was, was 
pretty much having a meltdown in the media. It didn't look like things were going to work out for us. Um, Russ will know this from watching us play against Fulham um, in December. We deserve that win. You know this. <laughs> yeah, I do know that. And, it, and it, it, even when you went down to 10 men, you were still much the better team. It was, and that was what that that was what watching Newcastle was like for a good, pretty much for the majority of Steve Bruce's yeah. reign. But it, it does seem, the performance yesterday does give me a bit of confidence. I think in Callum Wilson, we've got, we, we've got a player that scores goals. Um, he probably could have scored more yesterday. We showed a little bit more positivity. Um, we're pretty hard to break down. And we brought in a coach that, that seems to know what he's doing. Um, it does seem to be a little bit of a coup from the club just to, to keep Bruce in, but bring in a coach to sort of control what's happening on the pitch. And we definitely saw the impact of that yesterday. So I, I think we'll be okay, especially if we beat Palace on, on Tuesday night. I think that's a big game for us. If we win that, I think that we've got one one foot in the Premier League next season. Um, I'd still worry a little bit for Burnley, but I just think they always stay up under Sean Dyche. And I just can't see that changing. Um, unless that injury crisis that seems to be building gets any worse. Um and with Brighton, I think they're in a somewhat of a false position anyway. So it's really difficult to see which team could fall into that bottom three, unfortunately. I think Fulham have been improving, but there's improvement and then they're getting results. So I think that's the difference I can see with, with the likes of Palace and, and Newcastle and Burnley. They'll go through terrible runs, but they've got the, that experience of winning games in the Premier League that they've done for the last three or four seasons. And Fulham don't have that. And I think we've seen that in some of their matches. Um and I think West Brom and Sheffield United just aren't good enough either. So, Fulham are the team I think could get out of it, but I just don't see who falls in. And I still think maybe Newcastle or Burnley, they're the two I'd be chasing, but yeah. I just think they, they've got better game management and they will pick up wins. Burnley always pick up wins. They always do. They'll go for a, a terrible run, then they'll win three or four on the bounce. With four beat Liverpool like they just did. Exactly. Yep. So, I, I, unfortunately, I think it's going to stay as it is and I think Fulham will have a chance, but if you've won two games in 20 matches, it's difficult to say of any confidence that they will get out of it. Okay. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> I'm up. I'll, go, I'll get to the relegation in just a second, but for winning the league, I agree with Jake. I think it's going to be Man City. It's, uh, it's funny because, I re- I, Kevin, I remember speaking to you that I, I thought that Tottenham would have a shot at that, but uh, obviously things have changed a little bit. Injury yeah, to, December to, to now game. has been quite the ride. <laughs> so I'm going to go with Man City. I'm obviously going to go with Manchester United as well and Liverpool. And I'm going to go, I am going to go with Tottenham. And this is all with the caveat that, that Kane comes back soon. I Because even though I watched a match today that I thought your side was horrendous, I still mm. believe that it really comes down to, believe it or not, getting him back. If he's back, I think you're a different side. So I am going to say, because he should be back, that it's going to be it's, go, it's going to be Tottenham in fourth. So I'm I'm going to give you a little love and say it's going to be Tottenham. But we'll see. We'll see. I, I, actually, I love saying, the I'm optimism. Wrong. I unfortunately well, do not share it. <laughs> well, I'm an optimist, as, as uh, you guys might know. I'm... I'm pretty much an optimist. I'm a, I'm a glass half full supporter when when we talk about on cottage talk. I'm probably 75 to 80 percent glass half full. That's just <laughs> me being me. But I, but but I'm also objective where I, I I know when things are wrong and I'll admit when things are not going their way and uh, and criticize the team when they deserve it. But when we look at the other side, and I definitely understand why Jake went with the three and and you know. And also trying to make the argument that that foam can 
potentially get out of it. And I actually believe Fulham will get out of it. The conundrum for Fulham with relegation, because, because I truly believe that the other two aren't going to be able to survive. I don't think they have enough. I don't think Sheffield United obviously is in the position, even though they're playing better. And I just don't think West Brom have enough. Whereas Fulham, believe it or not, because of the situation with the new players and uh, we are halfway through, boy, if they came in at the beginning of the season, we wouldn't be talking about Fulham in the position that they are. But they are where they are. The table doesn't lie. So they've only had two victories, as Jake said. And it's going to sound hard for me to make the argument, but I'm going to make the argument that they're going to get out of it because I've seen proof of it with the great escape going all the way back to 2007. They have the players to do it. The issue that they have is they don't know how to win. And as Jake said very well, the other teams around them do. If they can figure out how to turn these draws into wins, they have the talent to get it done. And I believe Scott Parker has been doing a very good job, but it's also going to come down to him. He is going to have to change a little bit of how he sets Fulham up. He's going to have to be more brave. He is conservative in nature. He has set Fulham up defensively. It's worked brilliantly at times, but it also hurts them with scoring goals. So against certain teams that are around him and in mid-table, I truly believe he needs to change from three at the back to go to maybe a 4-3-3 and be more aggressive against these teams. He did not do it against West Brom. He hasn't done it. He didn't do it against Brighton. Part of it is on the players. Part of it, I truly believe, is on the coach. And hopefully he will learn from this. But when I look at the table, and now it's a seven-point gap, which is difficult, I still look at a team that is at eight points. And Jake, it's your team. I know you got a great victory, and and Bruce, did, you know, again, bringing in the coaches is a great move. But I can't look past all of those other matches and think, okay, they're going to be fine now. Because um, I, I, I've watched the team several times, and I was just, you know, looking at him, and, and I've watched all these videos on from Newcastle fans just talking how terrible Steve Bruce is. But you got the victory. I think that it's actually going to come down to Fulham and Newcastle. But if you get a couple more victories, then then I could be dead wrong. I think it's going to be Newcastle. I think Fulham are going to catch you. But we'll see if I'm right or wrong. Uh, if Fulham do get out of it, I think we'll be the ones that go. But I would also mm. say we we've got how many? We've got 17 matches to go, and we need probably four more wins. It's, right. We don't even have to be that good to stay up. That's true. That's the quandary that Fulham have. I know. And, and, and we have we players. have one game we've got, in we've hand. Got a, if you look, if you look at the next few games for Fulham, where they they need to start making points off soon, sure. and Leicester, Leicester, may, maybe I know that they won in the reverse fixture. West Ham, who are in, who are in very good form, Everton, who you know we've seen they can lose silly games, but you'd also think they're they're a strong team. That's they're not three games. They're three games that give you a chance, but they're also three games that you're not going to be favourites to win any of them. Sure. I think I think with Newcastle, we played Palace on Tuesday. If we beat Palace, I just can't see us going down. I just, okay. it, it would leave us then with, with 16 games to get three victories. Uh, we've got to play West Brom. We've got to play Sheffield United. I, I think we'll probably do it. As, I, I think I think we are, we're not great, but I've seen enough 
in the last couple of games. You always have to remember that we had our club captain uh, and our best player in St. Maximan go down for two months with COVID, and they're only slowly getting back into the team now. Right. And, and we, we are set to make a couple of tra- uh, signings as well before the end of the transfer well, window, who okay. who will improve us. So I, I think we'll be fine. But I always, I, we, we, we're basically building this optimism off, off one and a half games <laughs> in Newcastle, whereas the previous, God knows how many were terrible, but I just think we, we've seen enough of a difference. And in, okay. in Wilson, and, and this is a this is a team that have, that know how to stay up in the Premier League, and I think that's that's where the difference is. And I sure. think that, I think that if say we'd lost to Everton, probably be slightly different. But those three points are so big, and yeah, I just think that four four gate four wins from seventeen matches. I think even Steve Bruce can deliver that. <laughs> or the actual manager who we saw actually on the touchline. Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. I do think it's it's a bad year for the teams that are already down there because so many teams are like kind of good. Like if you look at, at everybody above Newcastle, Wolves, Palace, Leeds, Southampton, Arsenal, Villa, Everton, and, and up, it looks like all of those clubs are aiming upward, and then everybody in that batch is just kind of like stuck where they are beneath that, even though I recognize that Wolves are just the one point ahead of where Newcastle are right now. But yeah, I mean, a lot lot of that will rest on how quickly William Jose can get get, uh, in or whether or not we get to see Raul Jimenez return to the pitch. Obviously, his health the the most important thing. But yeah, it's going to be a tough battle down there. I I think the biggest negative for Fulham was that Leeds had a two-week break where they caught their fitness because if they had kept playing two games a week, they their performances would slowly dropping off and we've yeah. seen these on these terrible runs but they've picked up two wins in a row now they're not going to go down but they were the team for me that i could see quickly dropping but they have to rest and yeah they, they've now put themselves in two struggles of positions yeah they're like 15 points away from safety no five 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 <laughs> five so that's a that's a different situation entirely um if you had to hand out a player of the year award and a young player of the year award for this half season who would you hand them to it's difficult. I don't know what qualifies as the young player these days. Um, I'd probably say um, for player of the year, it's quite obvious. It's got to be Harry Kane. I think he's been very good. Um, and yeah, he's, he's, you know, you just look at goals and assists. There's nobody better than him this year. Um, it's got to be him. Uh, for young player, it's difficult. I, I can probably see it going to Phil Foden. I think that he's going to play more games. He's going to get, get more goals and assists. And he's going to play for the team that probably win the league. So yeah, I can see him getting it. I think he's been good. Um, he's he was City's top scorer in all competitions for a short period recently, so I could see him maybe getting that, um, maybe below that. Um, difficult. You know, maybe Mason Mount, I'm not sure if he still qualifies, but I think he's been very good. Um, yeah, I think they're the two for me, but the, the young player one's always difficult. It, it seems to be a stupid award it should probably be. Um, <laughs> it's like, are you 25? <laughs> Have you been in the Premier League for seven years? Yeah. Here's your young player trophy. I'm pretty sure Gareth Bale will probably win it again. He, oh. he always wins it. Um, no, I think maybe with, with you two on the podcast, maybe we should rename it to Rookie of the Year. I know that's, that's an American sport, but maybe that's the thing that they should do for the young player. Because, that's actually a good you know, idea, if, Jake. If Marcus Rashford wins it again or something, it's just, <laughs> yeah. It's never, it's never a young player that's deserving of the award. It's always somebody that has been really good, but not quite good enough to win Player of the Year. That's mm. probably what it is. But yeah, they're probably the two for me. I think Phil Foden and um, Harry Kane so far. Okay. I'm going to obviously agree with Jake on uh, on Harry Kane, but I, I want to give a, a second to Bruno Fernandes. And again, this is just watching him play against Fulham, man, that he is just so dangerous, and I, I think he's been very good. 
So I just want to mention him. The young player one, as Jake said, is is a strange one. And um, I can't go against the ones that you named, Jake, but I'm going to just throw another name. Again, a player that I've seen that that impressed me, Curtis Jones, a player to, to watch for uh, Liverpool. Mm. I, I if it was a true rookie that, of the year, yeah. Yes, I, I think he's a player to really watch in the future. So so that would be my shout-out for him. But but the other players, I, I, I certainly agree with Jake on. I'm going to be honest with you. When I wrote this question, I didn't even think that it's probably just a layup for Harry Kane at this point. Um, oh, it is. And, and if you view it through that American lens that we were just talking about with Rookie of the Year, if you look at it as like an MVP award, who's the most valuable? Look at that match that Tottenham just played today without him. It, well, it became very clear well, there's your argument. just how there's important your argument. he is. Yeah. There's only one player that comes close to Harry Kane for how important he is, and that's Jack Grealish, and he should probably be in the conversation as well. Mm. That's a good oh, point. Oh, yeah, it's an excellent point. Absolutely, that's it, a great if point. If they too. end up in the top four or even in a European spot, he he should definitely be be in the conversation for sure. Who knows? Maybe they'll give him young player for falling short. Um, <laughs> who do you guys think has been the best manager thus far this year? Uh, this is a, a slightly a tough difficult one. one. Yeah, definitely. I think it's normally the one that wins the league, and I think that Pep Guardiola has done an exceptional job. It's just so difficult to to give him that credit because he is managing probably the the, the club with the biggest resources, and he's obviously a world class manager already. So. What he's doing isn't surprising, but he has really trans- refocused that Manchester City team. And uh, yeah, they, they, they've become the machine that, that they were before. Um, outside of, of Guardiola, you probably look at David Moy, I think he's had an excellent excellent year. Um, Dean Smith as well. Obviously, they nearly got relegated last year. They probably would have done if it wasn't for a VAR uh, goal-line technology failure um, after the restart. So he's done an exceptional job in sort of transforming that squad and, and showed the value of it. Of showing patience in a manager, um, yeah, they, those two for me, um, and obviously, you could look at Bielsa. Um, I think they've just been great to watch, but I'm not sure. Not good defensively. Um, um, yeah, exactly. That's the problem. They're so great to watch, and you know, if you if you watch one game a weekend of Premier League football, you should probably watch Leeds. But yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's the defensive issues, and I'm not sure that you could really talk about. Them. Although you, you're you're talking about a, a coach just brought a team up from the Championship and is gonna comfortably stay up in the league so maybe that is an achievement in itself um but yeah it's probably probably Guardiola and then I'd probably look at Moyes and Smith maybe Rogers but it's still too early to really judge those three I think we need to see the sustainability over the course of the season um we have seen managers win it before not winning the league I think Alan Pardew famously won it won it when we finished fifth and I think there's been a few other occasions as well so maybe we could see one of those win it okay I'm actually going to go with Brendan Rogers. Because uh, I think that, you know, and, and I know what you're talking about, Jake, that, that they might fade, but I think he's done a very good job with that side. When you think about Leicester before he arrived, after they won the title, then they were heading in a different direction. I, th- I think he's done a, an exceptional job getting them to where they are right now. So I'm going to I'm gonna give it to Brendan Rodgers, but I understand why you went with the uh, other managers there, especially David Moyes and and. You know, it's difficult for me to give him praise just because, again, when I when I look at when I think about these things, I, I think about how did Fulham play against these teams, and Fulham actually played very well against Leicester City, and they also played very well against West Ham. I mean, they actually did. They they deserved something from the West Ham match that wasn't for Adamo Lookman's um, penalty, but that's a that's a story for another day. But but uh, I could you know. 
I could see why you, you would say David Moyes, but I'm actually going to go Rodgers. All right, all great shouts. And then I figure we'll end this section just by talking about our favorite moments of the season thus far. It's been a weird one, obviously, with all of the COVID stuff and us not being able to either get to the right country, in Russ's Russ and I's case, or yeah. even to the stadium in Jake's and everybody over there. But what's been your favorite moment thus far? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a strange one. Um, it's, I don't really have many favorite moments. I think that watching Newcastle has been more depressing than anything else. <laughs> so there aren't many moments. I think Saturday was quite a nice one. Um, we haven't been that good um, for a while. And we, we I watched us be genuinely uh, deserving of the three points. And, we, you know, I could probably count on one hand how many times that's been true since uh, Bruce came in. So that was good. And maybe it's made me a little bit more optimistic than I should be um, when talking about the relegation picture. But no, that was, that was nice. Um, it was nice to see Andy Carroll score for Newcastle. I, I'll stick with a few Newcastle ones to start off with because, okay. um, and then move on. But no, I think Andy Carroll scoring was nice. It was his first score since he returned. Um, and it was nice to see him get one, um, even if it wasn't a loss. Um, and I think probably overall, my favourite moment is probably the, the Tottenham win over Manchester United. It was just so remarkable. Um, and, and the Aston Villa one over Liverpool as well. I think for me, those three mm. jump out as a neutral. Obviously, you get tons Same of Same weekend as well. Yeah, and the result was was surprising in both of them. Um, probably the Villa one, just because it really it was just strange and, and great to see such a great team that we've seen uh, over the last two years just get destroyed by a team that nearly got relegated. It was so rare, and I'm not sure you could really count many other times. And that was before they had all the injury problems. You know, Van Dijk played in that game. They had everybody there. They just, yeah, it was just quite remarkable. So I think those three do stand out. Okay, for me... I would say Fulham beating Leicester City, which was a shocker. And uh, one of the things, guys, that I like to do after a Fulham draw victory or even a loss, I actually like to go on YouTube and watch other teams, fans, uh, videos. And and it's just it's funny, you know. I would recommend everyone doing this. You know, after your team wins, go check out the other team's fan sites because. You know, especially some of these watch-alongs. Oh, whenever your team scores, it's it's just it's just beautiful. That's all I'm going to say on that. And I did that with Leicester City, so I just thought I would mention that. And that was a that was a great victory for Fulham. And unfortunately, as we're talking about, they've only had two, so that was just the one that stands out. In regards to in general, Jake stole my thunder. It has to be for me, Aston Villa destroying Liverpool. I I actually enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. I'm not a Villa fan, but I just enjoyed the fact that that kind of told me, guys, that this season was different than any other, that it was just going to be more open be- partially because I, you have to say the pandemic has played an effect here. No fans there. Things were going to be different, and that match epitomized it. So I'm going to say Aston Villa beating Liverpool was um, – Best footballing moment besides Fulham's victory against Leicester City. That's a really good shout, and I, I I agree. I think my favorite part of this season has just been how unpredictable it is, and I think both the yeah. Tottenham United and Villa Liverpool matches really highlighted that. Like, it's amazing that every week we do this show, I have to rule out talking about a specific club that's either entered the top four or taken first. Because three weeks from then, they could be in 10th and have their manager sacked, like Chelsea just did. <laughs> so, just everything is so tight. Like, Manchester United were riding so high. 
you know, obviously sitting at the top of the table, beat Liverpool. Uh, in you know, right now they're two points up on Leicester in fourth. <laughs> Just, you know, six above fifth place and not even being in the top four. That's two results <laughs> that could go wrong and they'd be out of it entirely. So... This season is just is just absolutely bonkers. It was more fun when Tottenham were one of the teams that were doing well, but still pretty entertaining to see how drastically the 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 table shifts every week as a team that's like in fifth winds up in eleventh at the end of the at the end of play. But uh, yeah, it's definitely been a weird one. Uh, we will take a quick break now, and then we'll be back with club specific questions for each of our guests. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, and we are back. Jake, you mentioned earlier that you were in this super terrible run of form. Everything was doom and gloom. Steve Bruce, literally everything he said made every single Newcastle fan mad. Um, all of a sudden, you know, about an hour and a half of, uh, of good football there from Newcastle. Obviously, the win against Everton, a big one. Anything lead to that turnaround other than uh, this brewing managerial controversy with a new coach in? Uh, yes, it's... it's I'm as much Steve Bruce out as anybody, but I think the reaction yesterday was a little bit unfair on him. Um, there's a lot of Newcastle fans saying, oh, Graham Jones has come in as coach. He's obviously had such a big impact, but you know, if we'd have lost 3-0, the focus would have been on Bruce again. So if you're going to criticise the man, you've got to give him some credit to him, and I think that's only fair. I think that, I think that he's slowly... I think may, maybe bringing in a different coach. It may be Bruce admitting his own shortcomings. He knows that... He's openly said in many of an interview he doesn't really give a crap about tactics, and I don't think you can really be a Premier League manager now if you don't. But maybe he's brought in somebody that that does know about tactics and is letting him do that. Um, and I think that um, Graham Jones is he, quite a well-respected coach. He's obviously worked with Roberto Martinez um, a lot. Um, he, he's worked with the Belgian national team. He's um, he was just at Bournemouth as an assistant manager in last year. So the the, the first team manager at Luton. don't think it went too well for him, but, um, you know, some people are just better off at being coaches. So, um, yeah, he does seem to have had an impact. It was watching him on the touchline. He, he was the one shouting instructions. Um, I think Bruce was doing that as well, but you could see that, that Jones had really taken on his role. And um, it was just a strange one. Like the, the club um, website gave Jones like a 10 minute interview when he was announced it didn't feel like it was a coach coming in. Like, that's not a normal thing to do. It felt like this was our new manager. But um, I think he was brought in as a as a backup plan to Steve Bruce. And maybe we'll still see them push that button. But, um, you know, if they can get them working together, I think Bruce does have some some good quality, especially man management-wise. I think the players do like him. They just didn't have the structure on the pitch. And you could, you could clearly see that. But, 
no, we saw much better yesterday. We, we pressed high. We created chances. Callum Wilson could have scored three or four on another day. He had so many chances. And if you give Callum Wilson chances, yeah, he's going to miss a few, but he's going to score them too. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just such a threat. You just saw the way he's bullying the Everton back line. Um, he, at one point, he just outpaced Lucas Dean to get a ball. He's just he's so good. He, I think him and Antonio must be the worst two strikers to play against in the Premier League uh, outside of the top six. They just they just bully your game. And, and the thing we haven't been doing is getting Wilson the service to do that. Um, he was really working on scraps, but we've seen what if we get players close to him, we get him the ball in the final third. He will he will make things happen. So yeah, I think it was a really promising performance and one that the club should look to build on. Um, we're not through it by any stretch, but we saw improvements against Leeds as well. I think we were very unfortunate not to get anything on that game. Uh, I think we had over 20 shots, um, and in the sec- second half we were much better than Leeds. We 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 scored a very good goal, conceded a sloppy one, but yeah, for the rest of the game we had so many chances we should have got at least a point, possibly more. Um, and then we we built on that. We didn't you know let that be a disappointment. We built on that, and against Everton we were full value for the for the three points. It would have been unfair if we didn't get them. Um, yeah, it's promising signs, and hopefully Jones, as he gets more time to work with the squad, um, gets to know the other coaches and, and Bruce well, we'll really see the dividends. Um, it's a very strange thing for a club to do, to bring in a coach to try and change your season without sacking your manager, but you know, early early indications suggest it might just work, and yeah, I think that put ourselves in a strong position, and, and going against Crystal Palace at home in the next game, you've got to think you've got to be looking for three points in that as well. Palace mm. are a very good team. They... they them and Burnley, they grind out results, but they can also, you know, lose matches. And, and just not and show up that, sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And I think that they got the win at the weekend. We've got the win at the weekend. Um, maybe it's going to be a draw, but I think that Palace are in a slightly more secure position um, than we are. I just think we're going to beat them as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic, especially especially with some of the rumours coming out on transfers, which I'm sure we'll come on to later as well. Yeah, so... Um... One of the things that you just mentioned is very true. You are shooting a lot more than you were previously. Over the last two matches, you're sitting at 12th in shots on target with 13. I think you're in a similar spot with total shots. Oh, you're top 10 in total shots over the last few. Uh, did that just change creatively? It looks like it predates the the hiring of uh, the new guy a little bit. But just curious if you've noticed that as well, what, what's opened to the the firing of shots in, in far more in far greater numbers of like yeah it's, i think it's a little i think bruce has tried to get the players higher up the pitch he's spoken about that um you know for, for a long time watching newcastle we would be a player back five and we'd be camped on our in 60 yard box and our goalkeeper would make more saves than any other keeper in the league and it was just terrible to watch we were the most passive team going uh, and we seemed to shithouse our way to results sometimes. That happened. But we were terrible to watch. And, and they didn't, it didn't seem to be sustainable at all. We, we, I think we were scoring with nearly every shot on goal. It was, it was not great to watch. I think that if, while it was working, Bruce just stuck to it. But then it got to the point over the last 10 games that it just wasn't working. We were just losing matches and really offering nothing. And, and, and he had to change something. And he's um, brought Shelby back into the team. He has his flaws. He doesn't. He, he can sometimes be a bit of a liability in midfield, but he moves the ball, ball forward quickly, and he he, he really does um, push us forward further up the pitch. And and he can release um, a fullback or a winger running from goal. We've seen our fullbacks get higher up the pitch. I think Mankio and Lewis were both excellent yesterday. Um, 
I think Almiron, we've, we've played him in a central area and he's he's really benefited from that. And it, um, I think yesterday he made more ball recoveries than anybody else on the pitch um, and he also create, created three chances. So I think he he's a player that we weren't getting the best out of, but we started to see that. And Brian Fraser coming in as well, he, he adds a bit of creativity that we've been lacking. And, and with St. Maximan coming back, I think although he's done little on the pitch, although he's unplayable against Leeds for, for 20 minutes, uh, he hasn't done much yet. But just having him back, I think it's been a big um, confidence booster for the squad. But there just seems to be more belief in the squad. Um, and I think that's, that may be down to tactical approach, probably down to, to seeing some sort of performance on the pitch against Leeds, getting them confidence that they can actually go and attack a team and, uh, and challenge in that way. I think that one of the biggest um, false thing, things about this Newcastle team that, that some pundits give out is that what more can Steve Bruce do? This isn't a very good team of players. Well, this is a, a squad of players that have stayed up for the Premier League for three years, um, that has had hundreds of millions spent on the squad. Um, it's it's more than good enough to, to be a solid mid-table Premier League team. Uh, and if we play like we did yesterday uh, for the rest of the season, I think we will be a, a solid mid-table Premier League team. Mm. Well, certainly good luck to you. Uh, Russ, coming to you now. Another draw. We talked about it when when I did the show with you. That was in December, <laughs> but yep. the trend certainly hasn't Shocker, been broken. Another draw. <laughs> yeah, right. It's eight on the season. Only Brighton have more. Uh, Jake used it uh, earlier as a you know is is two wins from twenty going to be enough? Probably right. not. But in this particular instance, you were on the verge of losing before Cavalero. Uh, got that equalizer back. What was the feeling during and after that match? Was it that you salvaged a point or that it was another opportunity to to get three lost? This was an opportunity lost in a, with a huge scale, not just a small scale, huge scale. Because uh, anyone that watched that match would have seen Fulham dominate, and I mean dominate, the first half. It seemed like everything came together. They cut open West Bromwich Albion for 45 minutes, and as we're all footballing supporters, you know that if you don't get that second goal, it leaves you open. They only scored one goal. It was a fantastic goal, but they had opportunity after opportunity to get that second goal, and they didn't, and it came back to bite them. So going into the half, I was fearful that Allardyce would change things up, which he did. He brought on his new striker, and that changed the game. So then it became about what is Scott Parker going to do to deal with the tactical change that Allardyce did. And unfortunately for us, Scott Parker is an up-and-coming manager, but he's a reactive manager. He's not a proactive manager. So instead of making a a double substitution, which he made later on, he waited until... West Bromwich Albion scored their second goal, where he should have made the change, in my opinion, after the first goal, because the two players that came on uh, basically scored the second goal. It was a great assist from Harrison Reed setting up Ivan Cavallaro. That change should have happened around the 60-minute mark, and it didn't. And uh, again, Allardyce changed the game, and Parker didn't until it was it was too late. So, was I happy that they uh, that they only got a point? No, I was e- extremely disappointed because Fulham should have been up, dare I say, three or four nil at the half, and that's what was frustrating. 
as Jake has already said, and it's pretty self-evident right now as we talk on the show, I called my last episode, which I did earlier today, Cottage Talk post-match show, Fulham don't know how to win. That was Mm. the title. They don't know how to win. And that's why I I feel Jake feels the way that he he feels that Fulham are probably going to go down. And my only thought on that is that I understand that right now they don't know how to win, but there's also a lot of matches left. And I just hope that a lot of self-evaluating is going on between the players and also Scott Parker to correct what they're not doing right because they're not killing off teams. They're getting up a goal, and instead of being more aggressive to get that second goal, they are still doing what they do. The best way to put this, and I know you're going to understand this, Kevin, I think Fulham Football Club are being the Pittsburgh Steelers. They do what they do, and do what they do is good, but when teams figure you out, you need to do something different. Teams have figured Fulham out. So now he needs to change, and he's more, instead of being proactive, he's more reactive, and that's been the frustrating part. It was really two points dropped, and it was uh, it was devastating, and it's been even worse with Newcastle winning and now Brighton winning. It, it makes it a, a huge uphill struggle. I still mm. believe in my side. I think they have enough, and it'll come down to can they figure out how to win. Yeah, all, all fair points. Um, I wanted to wrap around to our first conversation of the season one last time where we talked about uh, if Angisa and Sari were going to have a chance to make it back in the team. Obviously, Angisa did, has done brilliantly. <laughs> Sari didn't. Now he's off again. Uh, what would you say will be how Fulham fans remember Jean-Michel Sari's brief stint at Fulham? The worst signing in Fulham history. It'll probably wow. be that. And, uh, and and that's going to be sad because I actually was uh, messaging with uh, a writer who covers Fulham. I said, you know what? You should really do a story on John Michael Serry's time at Fulham and why it went wrong. Because it started brightly. And ultimately, Kevin, it came down to a match that you'll remember well at Wembley Stadium where – it all went wrong where he made a mistake and mm. then it became mistake after mistake. He lost his confidence. And then we never saw the player that we saw in the opening stages of his Fulham career. He never recovered. So I think that's what Fulham supporters are going to look at. They know he's really talented. They know that he was a player that was touted by some of the bigger clubs in the world. So what went wrong? I think he lost his confidence after he made a mistake and it just got compounded and he was with a team that was fighting relegation and it just didn't work. And now they pretty much have parted ways. I know it's on loan, but he won't be back at Fulham and it's very sad. Yeah. All in all, I assume you'd take the one of the two, but yeah, disappointing that that his stint there didn't work out. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll continue talking about players here in Player Watch where you know, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't mention that tomorrow, as we record, is deadline day. Uh, but, you know, be careful with your guesses, because this show will run for another three days after deadline day is closed. But uh, as things stand, are you expecting a busy deadline day from, from your clubs? And if so, any any rumored ins or outs that you expect? 
Yeah, I think we're going to see quite a lot in Newcastle. Uh, DeAndre Yedlin has left the club, which has opened up a spot in the Premier League squad that we didn't have before. Uh, and Matt Ritchie is expected to go to Bournemouth. So that is going to open up oh, another interesting. spot. And wow. the thing that the thing that that the rumor mill is on is that Steve Bruce wants two central midfielders, and that it could be any combination of probably about four or five names. I'm going to throw at you now because they are trying to get all of the central midfielders and hoping that two of them come. So it does look like Hamza Chowdhury will be signing um, from Leicester as long as they can sign Nathaniel Chalaba, who we were link- also linked with another of the central midfielders we were trying to get. So it does seem to be a little bit of a chain there. He, he seems to be going to Leicester and we will be getting Hamza Chowdhury, who, if, you've, if you're familiar with his work, he is, he's not afraid of kicking another, uh, an opposition player. He's not afraid of putting in the big tackle. And that's something that Newcastle haven't had a lot of. So I think that would be uh, a good addition for, for the position we're in and, and the way we're trying to move forward. So I'd be in favour of that. And I think he's got a lot of talent um, being looked at by the England squad before. So, yeah, if he gets a run of games, maybe that would go well for him. The other one, um, we might not get another one. I think that's the one that's most likely. But we, they seem to be pushing for two. Um, I think Joe Willock from Arsenal has been has been linked quite heavily on loan. Uh, Maitland-Niles, we've been linked to trying to get him. But it seems like every Premier League club's trying to get him. So I'm not sure that will happen. Um, Olivier and Cham for, from Celtic has been linked and uh, today probably the, the strangest one that was linked but is, is being heavily reported by the French media is Idrissa Garnagai that would be a great one PSG on loan seems that a, a deal has been agreed with PSG for him to come to Newcastle but he's not too keen on the move which I don't blame him I mean he's, he's been playing regularly for PSG since his move they, he was at Everton before um, going to Newcastle does seem to be a little bit of a drop down but he wants to go back to the Premier League if there's no other club that comes in. I'm sure other clubs might come in because he's a very good player, but if they don't, maybe he will end up at Newcastle. Um, my only concern with, with finding those two players, uh, Guy and, and Chowdhury, as they both are, are more defensive-minded midfielders, but I mean, that, that could work for us, um, especially if you know we, if that gives us the, the, the opportunity to play St. Maximal, Almiron and Fraser and Wilson ahead of them I mean that can can only be beneficial but yeah it does seem that we we will be making signings um we will be seeing Yedlin and, and Richie leave the club most likely but yeah I think that Chowdhury seems to be the most likely uh, and maybe um Guy from from PSG or or Willock or um and Cham so you just see quite a few quite a few plates spinning but I think midfield has been an area that we have been lacking I think Isaac Hayden's the only one that I, I have true belief in in that central area um, the long staffs have good qualities, but also very inconsistent, still learning the game. Um, John Joe Shelby, very, very good at progressing the ball, but he's a liability in defence. Um, and Jeff Hendrick has, has slowly been growing into the role, but I'm not sure I'd really like to see him playing there every week. So it definitely is a position we need to strengthen, despite the numbers we have in there. So if we do manage to sign one or two of those, I think that, that would really put us in a strong position for the rest of the season, especially uh, Guy, you know, that's... That's a Champions League-caliber midfielder. If, if he comes to Newcastle in, in probably our weakest spot, I think that's only going to make us a better team and, 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 and push us on to the rest of the season. All right, and Russ, uh, we'll come to you now to talk about Fulham. There's been a lot of news about Fulham being on the search for a striker. Even I've heard it, and I'm not even a Fulham fan. Is that something that the fans are expecting uh, by the end of deadline day tomorrow? Well, the fans are expecting a striker to come in, but all indications are there is no striker coming in. So we'll end up probably having nothing. And what's interesting about this is is on the face of it, it looks 
horrible if they don't bring in a striker. They are lightest strikers. Scott Parker has said this. But in all honesty, they already have a striker that should be your main striker. And they need to be really trying to find a way to ignite Nitro to start scoring goals again. And unfortunately, I think part of what's been going on with Nitro is I don't know if he fits into how Scott Parker wants to play. Scott Parker wants a pacey striker, someone that can run onto the ball, and that's not Mitro because a lot of the time he's setting us up to play on the break. So for me, I think it's going to be integral. And we saw it against West Brom to get Mitro involved and get him to start scoring goals. He actually assisted on the first goal of his great assist. And uh, he's involved, so that's important. But to answer your question, I still think they need another striker, an alternative to Mitro. But I'm not expecting it, and that saddens me because it's it's something that I think the club desperately needs. They need an alternative. Can they play Adam Lookman in that role? Yeah, I, I think they can. But but again, I think that hurts them in other ways. I think he's best where he is suited. So. Based on what I've been hearing, I'm not expecting anything. And, you know, and that, again, tomorrow I think is going to be a very disappointing day. Uh, but it'll turn out to be a very disappointing weekend for foam supporters. Yeah, that's interesting. You'd think you'd be trying to uh, do all you can to stay up. But, you know, the finances, especially in this COVID-affected season, clearly not flowing for any club with uh, right. How slow the window has been on the whole. Uh, all right, we are out of time now, guys, but thanks so much for joining me. If there's anything you'd like to tell folks to go look at or anywhere they can find you, now's a good time. Yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two ends, and that's where I'll post anything that I'm involved with. Okay, well, you can definitely check me out on Twitter, Russ underscore Goldman, and also at the Twitter account for the podcast, Cottage Talk at Cottage Talk. And, uh, uh, please do check out our live videos. They actually go out on my Twitter account, Russ underscore Goldman, and uh, we just released one. As I said, Fulham don't know how to win. That is the name of the, of the actual episode uh, just recently released. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Uh, if you'd like to find me on Twitter, I'm at Kevrov. If you'd like to find the show, we're at EPL Roundtable. Uh, I think uh, it's going to be a little bit before we have the championship guys back. A lot of life happenings. Uh, glad that you're feeling better, Jake, in that regard. But uh, in the interim, you can find EPL Roundtable on all of your podcasting things with its name. Um, so do that. Although I admit that I'm slightly preaching to the choir. If you're already listening to this, it seems that you found it. But we will leave things there. Thanks so much to you, both uh, Jake and Russ and folks at home. We hope you keep listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.